Let's pray first. Holy Spirit, nothing happens apart from you. Thank you for Rob's testimony. Thank you for what you're doing in his life. And I pray that that would be the case with all of us that are present tonight, that we would have a testimony. Ask that you would just bless our time together and that we would briefly look at your word and it would impact our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When Sim spoke to me this morning, um, asking if I would preach tonight, because he wasn't well, I said to him, well, Sim, I already knew that um, I needed to be prepared for today. And I said, if you need me to take on this morning, I'd be prepared to do that. And he felt that he could do this this morning. He said, would you do it tonight? And I said, yes, certainly. But I said, I don't have a message prepared but the Holy Spirit will prepare me for that. So this is just a short background to what's happened. So Sim got up to preach, and what he was speaking about reminded me of what the Holy Spirit had been having me look at during the week. And there was the message. And I found this so incredible. I'm going to read what I think Sim would have been reading this morning. Because in the bulletin he just said the the title of his message was Watch. But it was from Mark chapter 13. So let me assume that these are the verses that Sim would have read tonight. Mark chapter 13 verse 32. But of that day and that hour no, no man knows... No, not even the angels who are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is like a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. I'd like to turn to Second Peter chapter 2. Second <clears throat> uh, Peter chapter 3, sorry. And I'll begin from verse 1. Peter says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us and of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation." And we are living in those days, whether you realize it or not. I have been in conversation with a number of people. And there are quite a number of people that have this attitude, where is the promise of his coming? 
those of us that watch and to see the times in which we are living are very much aware of the fact that Jesus' return is very imminent. Therefore, how do we live up until that time that Jesus comes? This is what I found amazing was that when Sim spoke this morning and his message and it took my mind back to what the Holy Spirit had been speaking to me about during the week and it wasn't until I got home this afternoon and I looked up those verses from Mark's Gospel where it says watch Now, turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. Chapter 25 comes after chapter 24, where Jesus tells his disciples what to look for at the end of the days. The disciples want to know what's going to happen, when is it going to happen, when are you coming back? They had all these questions for Jesus. That was chapter 24. The beginning of chapter 25 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, They all, all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so lest there be not enough for us and you, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready, went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man comes. This parable, if you will, of the ten virgins is representative of those to put it in today's language, that are attending the church. They come and sit in a pew. And we have five wise, and we have five foolish. This is a very, very sobering message. It's not a message that I would choose to deliver. But this is the message that God has given me to deliver tonight. If you read Sim's heart this morning, you would have heard the ache in his heart as to those that are sitting in pews 
that are not really truly saved. This is the case here in the last days. There's ten virgins. If you were to look at all ten, you wouldn't have seen any difference in them. They were all sitting in church pews. They all looked the same. They all marched to the same drummer. But they all slumbered and slept. They all heard the midnight cry, Behold, the bridegroom comes. They all had lamps. They all got up when they heard the cry and lit their lamps. But there was one thing that separated the two. The wise had vessels in which they had extra oil. These are the lamps that they would stick up on a rod. They would have been dipped in oil so that when the cry came, they all got up, they lit their torches, and the foolish found out very soon that their lamps began to go out. And they turned to the wise and they said, give us some oil. What is interesting is that the wise said to them, you go and buy oil from those that sell oil. Oil in scripture always is in reference to the Holy Spirit. You cannot go and buy the Holy Spirit. But they said, go and buy for yourselves. And I began to wonder about that. What is that? The demarcation line between the ten virgins was that everything looked the same except the wise had a vessel with oil in it so that if their lamp went out, they had extra oil to light the lamp. Where did they get that oil from? If the oil represents the Holy Spirit, what had happened was when they first came to know Jesus as their Savior, they were infilled with the Holy Spirit. But as many of you know, and I've spoken to a number of you, that when you make that decision for Christ, it has cost you something. Right, Aaron? It has cost you big time. Many of us can make the excuse not to come to Christ because of what my friends might think, what my parents might think, and you will come under persecution. It has cost every one of us something to make that decision. And here we have the foolish virgins. When the crisis comes, when Jesus is coming back, they have never paid the price to turn their hearts over to Jesus Christ. Amazing thing. Now, what is so sobering 
is that we can attend a church and we can sit in chairs or pews and not know that the person sitting next to us may not be ready when Jesus comes. Beloved, he's coming. Whether we want to believe it or not, whether we want to say he delays his coming, everything's going to stay the same for the next thousand years. Whether you believe it or not, he's coming. Are you ready? It is difficult for some of us to realize the persecution that is going on in the world today. But from the very outset of church history, those that came to Christ, those that received the Holy Spirit, those that paid the cost, faced martyrdom. Each of us is paying a cost to follow Jesus. If you don't pay the cost when the day comes that Jesus returns, you will be found to be one of these foolish virgins. You may look like a Christian, you may act like a Christian, you may do all Christian things, but the heart has not been changed. You have not received the Holy Spirit. You can pretend to have the Holy Spirit. You can hear what somebody says and you can repeat it, something that the Holy Spirit was delivering through that individual. But when it comes to having a fresh knowledge of God and a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's absent because a cost was involved that you never were prepared to make. It's a very sobering thing to think about. Have you ever considered that? I've considered it. And I've told you before, a couple of years ago, when I was attending a study on Revelation, and we would pray afterwards, and I prayed, God, would you just give us a little bit of your heart, of how you feel about the church? And little did I know what that was going to look like. And God gave me a burden for the church. For years, I have watched the apostasy. I have watched the decline. I've seen the apathy. I have become so discouraged through seeing that. And yet God, for a moment, gave me a little bit of his heart of how he feels for the church. And for six weeks after that, I was not even able to say the word church without breaking down in tears. How do we feel about God's church? How does God feel? Are we going to just continue business as usual? Or are we going to be on fire for Christ? His coming is soon. Where is our heart for souls? I pray that God would break our hearts. 
that he would move in our hearts, that our lives from this point on will not be the same because we'll have dedicated our lives to Christ. Our lives must change because he's coming soon. And if every one of us have friends and relatives that have not received Jesus as their Savior, think about it. Is your heart broken for them? What if Jesus came today and they are unsaved? That ought to change our lives. It must change our lives. You see, we have an expression that we use sometimes. Do you know the Lord? (laughs) Have you found Jesus? And people say, well, I didn't know he was lost. We're asking the wrong question. The question we need to ask is, does God know me? When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, now that you have come to know God, he says, just a minute, rather, God knows you. Does God know you? By name. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. Jesus knows each and every name of the one that has put their trust in him. He knows your name, and your name is written in the book of the Lamb's book of life. Does God know you? Because this is what he says here. To those that are unwise, they came knocking on the door, wanting to enter. The door was already shut. It's too late. Someone is going to be the last one through the door. You may be the last one to be saved before Jesus comes. If you come and it's too late, you can knock on the door. And he opens the door. That's what our God is like. He opens the door and he takes a look. He says, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Does God know who you are tonight? We need to search our hearts, believers and unbelievers alike. Do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is going to see me through these dark days that we're going to be entering and we're started to now. Are we prepared for the days ahead? We need to build a foundation. That's heavy on my heart. We can sit in a church for years and years and yet have no real firm foundation when the storms arrive. We need to have a foundation on which we can build our hope, no matter come what may, that we know, that we know, that we know that we belong to the Lord. Everybody here tonight needs to have that assurance. There's one last verse that I would like to read or recite. If you were at Bill 
Boots' funeral, Sim read from Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 4. This is the beginning of what they were discussing hours before Bill passed away to be with the Lord. And he said, the time has come, this is Peter writing, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We have entered the days that Peter is writing about where judgment is beginning at the house of God. Just have a look over the past couple of years and see what has transpired in churches where some doors have been closed, totally closed. Others like this where people have been gathering in. It's a clear indication of the last days. But judgment begins at the house of God. The picture's not pretty of the church at large today. There's apathy. There's lukewarmness. There are those that just come and heat a pew. We need to have a changed life. God is going to have to shake us out of our apathy because we don't have much time left and God is going to give us a heart for souls. And don't be surprised if some of you sitting here that you think that God can't use you and you're sitting on the sidelines. I have a, a different story for you. You're the exact person that God is going to raise up to use in these last days. I've had an opportunity to speak to a number of you young people. I'm thrilled with the young people. Absolutely thrilled. And you will know that. I've spoken to you about it. God is going to use you. Just be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Don't rush things. God will open doors for you. But he will. Let me turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I was just reading it uh, this afternoon. That's why I remember where it is, because normally I wouldn't. Uh, I better not speak too soon. Oh, that's First Corinthians chapter 1. Um, where are we here? Yeah, First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. <clears throat> I think I mentioned this maybe to Randy this morning. I did, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to com- confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised, God has chosen, yea, and these which are not to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Do you qualify? I qualify. I'm nobody. 
I've been sitting on the sidelines. God is calling. Listen. I plead with you, listen. God may totally change your life, but what he's going to do is put a passion in your heart for Christ and for people and for the salvation of souls. Let's be the five wise. I hate to even consider the fact. I hesitate to even say it. But if we look at the professing church today, are we looking at half of the church that are wise and half that are foolish? God is not going to be defeated. It may not be a 50-50 split, but when I look around, I get very concerned because there's so many that don't have a heart for God nor for people. Let us not be one of them. So I just pray that you would be encouraged by this. Not overcome with sorrow, but that this would put a fire in your heart from this moment on. Dedicate your life to Christ. Make sure that your life changes. When you listen to the Holy Spirit, He will change you. There's no question.